welcome. We're here to talk absolute worship and it's Epiphany. And uh, we're thinking about the Epiphany readings for Epiphany Day, not strictly speaking a Sunday, but we're assuming many churches will go with an Epiphany theme at this time of year. So, Lithan, you've had some time to think about this. What are you going with these readings this week? I think um, my theme will be the first line of the Isaiah reading, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And it's the, hooray, your light has come. But then you actually have to do something about it. We have to arise and shine. It's not, mm. it's not hooray sunbathe because your light has mm. come. It's about the lights come into the world and what's going to happen with that. Um, and in case people, this is now also the second Sunday after Christmas, and people will be going, no, but it's time to take the decorations, you know, but let's move on. And it's saying, no, we can slow down. A bit like the slow food campaign there was a while ago that you just need to dwell in it and, and just let it all seep in and think about it for quite a bit longer. So we're going to chew over a bit more about um, what the incarnation means and how different people responded to it. And the great thing about these two readings is that you can play the game of spot the difference. So um, you can look at Isaiah for when it was written, firstly, about how it was the message of hope for those who came back to Jerusalem. So we talked in Advent about how um, the past being made straight, we can go back, yay, this is going to be brilliant, and they get back to Jerusalem and go, this is just awful. It's just, we thought we'd come back to something built, but actually we've got to do the rebuilding. And thinking that's actually quite a good thing to reflect on at the time we're in now, when we're, we are looking to the new normal or whatever's going to happen when we're all allowed to do the stuff we used to be able to. And I think most of us are still going, hooray! So my church, um, we can't yet meet together. But when we thought we could, people, a few people were really excited until I said, but there's no singing, we're sitting apart, we can't hug each other, and there's no drinks. And they went, yeah. And that's kind of the feeling I think that the people uh, that Isaiah is talking about would have been having even, on an even bigger scale of going, actually, now the, now the work is to begin. So they've got this hope that the light is shining, but there's some work to be done. And then you get Matthew, where lots of the things that Isaiah is talking about um, are, are ready. Um, our daughter had a line in her nativity at school and she practiced it a lot. And, and because her parents were ministers, we explained the need to um, enunciate and speak slowly. And what would happen was the slower and louder she spoke, the more Essex she became. So I let Phil do. So whenever we hear these readings, Phil and I will both think this. The camels and the kings were ready to leave. <laughs> yes, so, so both of the readings have camels and kings in them. And um, Walter Brueggemann talked about what if Herod, the king, knew his Isaiah really well. So when the, the camels and the kings have arrived at the palace, 
and and um, he says, well, there's kings and they're following a star and they've, they're on camels, perhaps, <laughs> and they've brought presents of golden incense. That must mean, yay, it's time for Jerusalem to be rebuilt and thriving and I'm going to win against my enemies and it will be brilliant. But I haven't got a baby. So he gathers all the people together and goes, Look, 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 here, here it is. There's this prophecy that's, uh, that's really come true. And then they, they go and they look at their paperwork and they go, actually, we think maybe you need to think about another prophet. You need to think about um, Micah and the fact that of Bethlehem. And then he probably says words I won't say here and goes, oh, bother. And then starts to plot his revenge. So we've got some that Bethlehem is a very different place to Jerusalem in all of this. And then we'll say, and of course, what is the thing that you don't have in both readings? So there you go. What's the thing that you don't have in both readings? What do you only get in Matthew that you don't get in Isaiah? No, that's right. Which is possibly you could have the bit from the life of Brian where Mary's or Brian's mum, sorry, not Mary, not Mary. Brian's mum says, if you're dropping by again, do drop in. Thanks a lot for the golden frankincense, but don't worry about the myrrh next time. All right, goodbye. Because <laughs> myrrh is just horror. You know, it's about death. It's about destruction. It isn't a fluffy Christmas present. Um, it's not, it's not even socks. It's myrrh. But myrrh is the thing, and I think myrrh is the thing that reminds us about God's redemptive love. And we can bask in the wonder of this. It's not just about the, the gold and the, the frankincense, that, that scent of power, but it's about God giving this gift of Jesus represented in the myrrh of, of love that will be light to the world, but also will bring his death. And that we can't just bask in it. We do need to arise and shine because our light has come. They go, that was a bit long, sorry. <laughs> arise and shine. I'm kind of, uh, it's always making me think of that song, isn't it? Arise and shine and give God the glory. glory <laughs> and there you go. If we can get past that. Um, also, the <laughs> phrase rise and shine. Mm -hmm. uh, was something that a particular generation used to annoyingly say to their children in the morning, wasn't it? Rise and shine. And I don't think I'd appreciated that they were actually uh, speaking Isaiah. Um, <laughs> rise and shine, uh, for thy light has come. Or, I don't know, rise and shine. But that means wake up, doesn't it? Rise and shine in popular parlance. So maybe there's something of the, of the waking up to the reality here that you're talking about, maybe, of, of what this is yeah yeah um uh, for people reading in essex um or listening in essex uh we are very 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 sorry um and <laughs> for people listening to lithan who said her congregation don't come uh, uh because there's no drink um she of course means tea and coffee and very weak orange juice um just in case the well, one of your congregations in Essex would have <laughs> sherry before worship if there was a baptism. So you can, it could have been different refreshments. We did, we did. So, Rachel, where are you going with these readings? 
Um, well, I'm kind of focusing on Isaiah as well, really, um, because I saw I, I came across a quote when I was sort of reading around. Um, and the quote is this. When God's glory or light shines, Israel lives in its glow and is itself a presence of light in the world. So it made me think about how um, God's blessing of us is always not for our benefit alone, but that we might be a blessing. So I felt that this receiving of light isn't for us alone, but for us to, to be bearers of light also. Um, and it's not up to us to try and kind of manufacture light from nowhere. Um, we're, not, we're not creating the light, um, but we're just to let it shine and kind of not get in its way almost. <laughs> um, not be not be the you know the shutters that that keep it inside um and and similarly um in I, I can't remember now if it was in the Isaiah or no it was in yeah in the Isaiah reading not the psalm um the the wealth that's brought to um that's brought to the nation is not just for the prosperity of Jerusalem but it's there for the worship of God so it's this idea that whatever we receive is to be kind of given back to God, whether that's given back to God in worship in the sort of more traditional sense or given back to God in worship in the way that we love and serve um, others. Um, and sometimes we do try to hang on to the light. Um, sometimes in church, we're not very good at letting our light shine. Um, we might like to let our light shine among our congregation, but you know, never does it see the, <laughs> the outside world. Um, but all the readings, I think, if you if you were to sort of look across the whole of the readings, including the psalm, you've got this idea of the nations coming together um, and that inclusivity again. So the light is, you know, is for everyone out there um, and definitely something that we have to share. And in Ephesians, you've got, you know, the church making the, the glory of the Lord known to, you know, far and wide. So... I felt that there was something for me about this idea that we don't just keep it to ourselves, but it's to flow through us. Um, so that was what I was doing. Ruth. Yeah, thank you for that. Because that, that, that idea of um, not just that we pass on the light, the, we are the means of the light being seen, just, just made me think that, that kind of metaphor that if you get in the way of the light, then you're kind of casting a shadow. And there, there is a way of being so close to the light that, that you know, you, you stop anyone else from seeing it. Um, so I like that idea, which is making me think, so how do you allow, allow the light to shine? Um, and some of it is about kind of where you stand in relation to the light somehow, isn't it? It's, it's kind of, you know, not so close I mean, I'm sorry, I'm stretching another metaphor, really, the fire, you know, on, on those cold days, if you have a, a fire in the hearth, you know, somebody comes in and goes, oh, I'm freezing cold, stands right in front of it. Nobody else can feel or see the light anymore. So there has to be a kind of a, a sense of we gather and we share, but we make sure we orient ourselves in relation to it in a way that allows others to come as well. So I like that inclusive sense of, because we know how important the light is, we don't want to get in the way and we want others to see it. So we're, we're always kind of standing sideways on maybe so that the light can shine past us 
Um, and, and that doesn't take anything away from us. That doesn't make us less illuminated. We don't lose light, but, but we can be the means by which others can come to the light. So, yeah, thank you for that. That's really helpful. Yeah, there's, um, there's an old illustration. It might be one of those old famous Baptisty preachers it might be Moody or one of those, I think, um, where one of his members had stopped coming to church and he went around to visit them and uh, the, the person said, I don't really get anything out of it. It's not for me. You know, I can be a, a, a Christian on my own. I don't need the squabbling fellowship that I'm part of. Thank you very much. <clears throat> and apparently the minister said nothing, um, but picked up the tongues next to the fireplace, uh, removed one of the coals, uh, glowing coals, and put it on the fireplace on its own, and then simply watched as... The rest of them continued to glow and radiate and that one um, that had separated itself from the church fellowship um, slowly um, went cold and and died so um there's a cheery message <laughs> something about there's something about not <clears throat> when we say and then my translation says um you will see and be radiant um and something about being radiant people that it then is quite easy to say well that's about me and how can I develop myself to be a radiant person of joy and everything else when actually it's also I think a little bit about the action and the life of the uh, church together as disciples that makes us radiant or, sh or maybe should make us radiant are we radiant people in radiant churches yeah Rachel I'm no physicist, but it's radiation to do with the passing on of an energy rather than the creating of an energy. I don't know. You've moved beyond my scientific. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the radiators, uh, I don't know, uh, they're probably uh, they people don't, can look at the science themselves. They don't heat the water, do they? The radiators don't heat the water. No. They just pass it on around the house. Robert, Robert knows all about radiators and plumbing. Oh, I was thinking about re uh, mirrors and prisms and something about um, uh, darkness and light, uh, light reflecting, light, white things reflecting better than dark. Something about that. So it's a similar radiator, prism, mirror. So you don't block the light, you pass it on. Interesting. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and we are to radiate that light and that heat. Where are you going, Robert, with these readings, do you think? Um, well, it's... It's a movement because it, it, it goes back to something that um, uh, I, I don't know why always puzzles me about people, about how different people are. Um, and it, it's a story somebody told me years ago. There are people, it's not really a story, an aphorism or something. Um, for some, some people will look into the distance and see a horizon. And the horizon is the, the, the limit, and they feel safe where they are. Other people look and see the horizon, and they have to go and see what's, what's beyond. Now, on the latter, 
And so I'm thinking, are oh, the, the Magi, they had to go. And so there's movement and, and, and following and traveling. And in a lot of the other readings, arise, shine, movement, um, you know, because that's what you said, wasn't it? Um, when you said to your kids, rise and shine means don't stay lying there. Get up and do something. <laughs> Move, you know. Um, and it feels that that this um, this Sunday, when you said about this Sunday, I said, I thought to myself, oh, that's all about, um, you know, Ephesians, the revelation to the Gentiles, the breaking down of barriers between peoples. And I thought I can imagine all sorts of stuff to think about currently because everybody seems to be wanting to put up barriers. Um, and the, the gospel for me is about breaking them down. And that's, there's a lot of movement. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm making a lot of sense, but it feels to me um, that it, it's about do move, get up, go, reflect, radiate, do something. Um, and thinking about, just after Christmas that Lytham was talking. So all of the newspapers and magazines will be full of, oh, here's the new diet plan because you're going to make your new resolutions and everything's going to be better. And so there's, it, it's this, I mean, I think the core is that it's about, I suppose the movement is to break down it, the things which stand between us because the message in Paul is that um, the, the coming of the Magi shows us that, the, that Jesus is for everybody. And so it's about breaking that. And, and I suppose I'd be feeling, well, let's get on with it then. You know, how do we do it? And how do we... And that has to do with reflecting light rather than darkness. Uh, and I'd say currently in our political discourse we seem to be much more focused on reflecting darkness than reflecting light uh so that's where i'd be wanting to go with it i think don't know if that makes any sense oh, um <clears throat> metaphorically obviously you know, you can't reflect darkness i don't believe um i'm not sure um maybe you can radiate darkness i don't know um but it does chime in with something that is kind of ill-formed in my head about the king's reading or the magi reading um, because i think people are coming to expect king's epiphany and if you don't talk about kings somehow um they're going to be sadly disappointed um so i did spend a little bit of time thinking about the kings and the thing that kind of um struck me was that before they journeyed before they arose and shone before they got up and got out of bed like you're saying there robert um You've got to have a reason to get out of bed. I mean, that's why teenagers don't get out of bed. There's no, there's literally yeah. no reason. Yeah. The, our middle one used to say to us, "Why do you want me to be up at ten in the morning? What do you want me to be doing?" And we'd say, "Because you should be up." <laughs> and that kind of wasn't good enough. <laughs> and it said she was right. <laughs> there is no reason. Um, and a thing that struck me this year about the wise men is that. The first step was perceiving that something had changed in the world. Uh, and this is described in the Bible as a change in the stars. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, they have perceived a change somewhere that they want to go and investigate. And that's, that's a strong enough pull 
to draw them towards that horizon that you're talking about. Uh, and I'm afraid the image that's in my head, maybe not everybody will respond to, but um, we've had dogs in our family for forever. Ah. And uh, the image that's in my head is like when a dog's out and about, or uh, probably deer do this, probably most animals do this, but when a dog's out and about and it, it senses something in the air, it stops and it kind of sticks its nose in the air, doesn't it? Because um, it, it senses something that I can't perceive. I've got no idea. Um, it's inhabiting a world that I've never, I've never even visited, but it just sticks its nose in the air. And it, it kind of made me think that as churches, um, as Christians, maybe we should be the kind of influence in a community that brings about that kind of changing culture or changing scene that makes people stick their nose in the air and think something's changed here. I want to go and find out what it is. There's something, something's going on here that I want to be part of, that I've just caught a sniff of um, those Christians or something that they're doing in the community that actually motivates myself to rise and shine and go and find out what it is. Yeah, Robert. Uh, I found this quote, this is from Walter Brueggemann, um, and I don't know if this relates, but I think it does. Um, sorry, the narrative of Epiphany, it's called uh, Off by Nine Miles. The narrative of Epiphany is the story of these two human communities, Jerusalem with its great pretensions and Bethlehem with its modest promises. We can choose a return to normalcy in a triumphalist mode, a life of self-sufficiency that contains within its own, within it, its own seeds of destruction. Or we can choose an alternative that comes in innocence and a hope that confounds our usual pretensions. We can receive life-given invulnerability. It is amazing, the true accent of epiphany, that the wise men do not resist this alternative but go on to the village. Rather than hesitate or resist, they reorganise their wealth and learning and reorient themselves and their lives around a baby with no credentials. Well, isn't that what you're saying? We're pointing to the Bethlehem, not to the Jerusalem, to the, to the new, rather than back to what's safe and current, and that's goes back to what I was thinking about what is it that makes some people think the horizons are the limits but I want to say because because there's life beyond because there's life as it should be not a life as it is yeah uh, or you sail off the end of the world Robert um, there's always that danger um, I think Litham was saying something about Jerusalem and Bethlehem weren't you and yeah then, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think it's the same thing yeah and now that um now that Walter Brueggemann has been invoked, we have become a, a serious podcast. So thank you, Robert. <laughs> Ruth. Just the talk of, of Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Um, I was lucky enough to, to visit both places uh, in 2019. Do you remember that? 2019, oh. a very long time ago. Um, and I was due to have gone again in 2020, but there you go, that didn't happen. Uh, but in going to the two places, I'm very conscious that, that Jerusalem is one side of the wall and Bethlehem is the other side of 
the wall and you, and you have to go through the wall between Israel and Palestine or Palestinian territories um, to get to them, um, which kind of accentuates now the difference between them, even though it is a very short distance. I, I, I knew it, from looking at biblical maps that it was six or seven miles, but to actually do it, get in the car and drive, park the car, walk through the wall, you know, and then you're there, uh, made me realise how, how cheap by jowl they are. But the differences are accentuated. But the wall that kind of separates them um, is covered on, on the Palestinian side, covered with artwork and paintings and murals and stuff. That, that I just wonder whether that's kind of an epiphany in a way. The wall is meant to divide. Uh -huh. But the way that people have used the wall is as a way of reflecting the world as it is and the world as it should be. Uh, and Banksy... We're in the southwest. Banksy's gone and set up the walled-off hotel, and there's a load of of his art stuff there to help you reflect on the whole Israel-Palestine question. Um, and and I love the way that the thing that's meant to say no, this is this and that's that, and they shouldn't mix, has actually become the means by which you're forced to look at these two worlds colliding. Um, and then just, I'm sorry, it's not a worked out thing because you've only just said it about, about Israel and Palestine, but there's something about those two things side by side, which then help produce a, a light uh, and an understanding. Uh, and I wonder if that's part of what Epiphany is about, bringing different things together and, and revealing something that couldn't be seen before. Rachel. Um, maybe similarly, but different. When Robert was speaking about Bethlehem, I was kind of, the, the thought popped into my head about Bethlehem literally being the house of bread. Um, so again, that contrast between you've got, you know, Jerusalem and the, 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 the palace and the traditional royalty and, you know, you imagine kind of fancy food um, and the really down to earth, you know, bread um, of, of Bethlehem and, and the idea that actually, um, it's the kind of it's the bread that sustains you and it's um we, we talk about bread being as you know the stuff of life we don't talk about i don't know caviar <laughs> being the stuff of life um and just something about that you know life is to be found in um the the simplest of things and the roughest of beginnings um and that the the wise men the magi chose um, to go on and find life and not be stuck um, with their sort of, you know, maybe traditional idea of, of what they were what they were looking for. Yeah, Robert. I'm not hope. I'm not pushing it too far. No, <laughs> uh, I, I saw. Uh, well, I was thinking about bread and food and how the food that most sustains is the home. You know, um, Gwen's downstairs making a soup now. Uh, and that's going to be really good and sustaining. And that there was a report in the, one of the papers this week that they've done a survey of what um, are the most popular recipes people prepare. And then none of them are out of the recipe books. They're all what grandma taught me. And there's something about home and, and, and warmth and safety and that. So I don't know if there's anything there. Lithan, um, Lithan just uh, last week bought me um, a new nativity set for my collection, um, or our collection, um, um, and uh, it, it's, it's the one that 
um, has actually got the nativity set with the big wall behind it, um, huh? which is uh, something, yeah, which is something I've wanted to kind of add to my collection for a while, because it's quite difficult, I think, to imagine talking about Christmas and Epiphany um, without some reference to uh, what's happening at the moment. This, this, as on our recording day today, I heard a report on the radio about the olive harvest, which is happening at the moment in Palestinian uh, farms and how there is always conflict on the edges and how the olive harvest is deliberately by um, some extremists disrupted um, and olive trees are torn down and stones are thrown and um, life is made very difficult at what should be a time of harvest celebration. Um, and of course, COVID hasn't helped um, the situation and the weather's been very hot, which means that the olives are smaller than they used to be. And uh, life is hard enough as it is. So it would be difficult to imagine telling these stories without some nod to the current political situation. So I think that's really um, valuable for you to bring that up, Ruth. Yes, Lithin. Hopefully, that we're, we're recording this um, a month or so before um, January, and hopefully everything will have been resolved. But in talking, especially hearing about House of Bread and talking about food, at the moment, the contro controversies about making sure children are fed enough and the government or Jerusalem are kind of going, no, we're, we're sorting these out perfectly well. And then admittedly the humble multimillionaire football player, but, but somebody who's from humble origins or is one person has said, no, how can we make a difference? And little by little other places are saying, no, we will do this and we will do this and we will do this. And I think again, it's that should we want to to do the Jerusalem Bethlehem thing. I think that's another illustration of um, what it means. And, and I guess, again, about reflecting the light and sharing the light rather than hogging it for yourself. Okay, we're going like with a very big Jerusalem Bethlehem thing, which is which is emerging, which is cool. Ruth, where, where were you thinking of going before this whole Jerusalem oh, yes. Bethlehem thing came out? Well, everybody, everybody sent me on a completely different track. Um, I, I, I was looking at the Ephesians reading because um, I thought, oh, no, I've never really read this terribly well. Um, and, and you might think I still haven't. I mean, like a lot of Paul, you... you jump into the middle of you think what's happening here and you kind of go back a chapter and think no I still haven't got it and you have to go back to the beginning and read the whole letter as a whole letter to read and even then some of his arguments are a bit a bit like ours they kind of go off in one direction then whoo, they go off somewhere else and then you, know, you feel like you should have used brackets and maybe a better edit but anyway that's just my little <laughs> But, but in reading this, and I've, I've got my Bible here because I, I just wanted to make sure I got it right. This I'm reading from the NRSV here. But of this gospel, I've become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. OK, then there's a little bit about being in the very least, blind, you know, that sort of stuff, uh, which I'll leave out. Um, to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. 
God, that just took me miles away from kings and camels and and light metaphors and all of that, and into kind of what what's going on here? The the kind of um, huge scope of what Paul is talking about and, and his use of words of you know stupendous and marvelous and and universal and all of those those big words um, which kind of got me to so epiphany is about the glory of God so yes you've got to use that sort of language of amazing size and scope and and the idea of a hidden mystery kind of caught my attention uh, and so I thought is there some value in, in helping our congregations to think about how are we revealing the mystery of God? Mm. So I think we've talked a little bit earlier about a kind of, you know, uh, spotting the, you know, be, being the thing that makes people think, oh, something's going on. Um, but it's, it almost for me feels like little pinpricks of light um, that make people realize, you know, there's a whole thing going on. And the, the, the impression in my head is of these um, the sort of lanterns that have a you know, lattice work with lots of tiny little holes. Uh, and it's very beautiful. It casts a beautiful light. Um, but it, it's only a part of the amazing light that's behind the, the lattice screen. So I think there's something for me there in Epiphany about saying this is just a glimpse. This is just, you know, you're not you're never seeing the whole glory of God. But you're seeing little bits that make you think that the whole thing is amazing and is, is stupendous and those big words that, that, that Paul uses. So I think I, I'd quite like to point a congregation towards how in the year to come, because we are pretty much at the beginning of the year, how can we take up the challenge of being those pinpricks of light and the bits of hope and the bits that help people realise there's a much greater light and a much greater hope that's going on kind of behind us. That's, that's why I went with that. Yeah, Robert. I, I completely agree with what we're saying. The thing that worries me about that sort of thing is that, that the day, how, how do we think we're going to be these points of light and that people can get very pious or have huge... Um, and it makes me feel it's a bit like... Um, art in the the best art is the art you know art for art's sake money for god's sake sort of thing um who was that 10 cc yeah. <laughs> um the, the the best art is the art that the person has done because they have this urge to produce something not art churned out to make money or to, to impress and in a sense, it seems to me that the best way we become points of light is not by trying to become points of light, but by, um, you know, the, walking the way of Jesus as best we can. And that that's a sort of, um, that's the result of that. And it's how do we, because that feels to me like um, the church hasn't really got to grips with that. You know, we tend to be oh, a certain certain aspects of the church think it's look at me how good i am yeah that's i just wanted to say that ruth well uh, and i think yeah that i'd need to watch that because what what i was trying to say was that, that we're, we're the holes if you like we're, yeah. we're the we're the holes in the lattice work that helps people see the light on the other side yeah. so we're not the lights yeah. and we've come to testify to the light yeah. going back to john chapter one again 
Um, so, I, yeah, I think there's always that danger, isn't there, of, of we do good stuff. So that, And then people will say what good people we are, if we're lucky. We don't want them to do that. We want to, to reflect the light of God so that people say what a wonderful God we're serving. And it's it's that kind of yeah, how the, the the pinprint. We are not the source of the light, um, but we're we're revealing. And I think that's part of what we have to get behind somehow. An epiphany is what no, if, we don't want to say we're just a bunch of do-gooders. No, absolutely. And, you know that's the thing. Isn't it? I I used to reflect on this with congregations um, using window imagery in a kind of very play school kind of way. <laughs> what kind of window are we? Um, because I think the window image is, is is quite good because nobody's looking at the actual window. <laughs> They're looking at the thing beyond the window. So the window isn't the thing, is it? Well, I used to say, well, you know, um, the best the best that you and I can probably manage is is to be the toilet window, which is that kind of that first off wrinkly glass it's deliberately a bit, a bit vague you're not really supposed to see the full picture through a toilet window are you um whereas jesus is the clear glass polished window um through whom you can see the full glory of god's light but it doesn't stop us being windows it's just that we're a different a different kind of window with that sort of green pebble glass window sometimes <laughs> It's called obscure glass, isn't it? Yeah, I see through yeah. a mirror dimly or a yeah, toilet exactly. window yeah. obscurely, <laughs> as Paul might have said. <laughs> 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 but maybe we shouldn't go too uh, too far down that road. Um, I, I kind of, yeah, I, I looked at the Ephesians thing and found myself asking exactly the same question as, oh, hang on, I'm going to go back a chapter here. What is he talking about? Uh, still not quite clear. I'm going to have to go back. And he's going to talk about this big mystery. And so I, I hate programs that have present a big mystery and then don't resolve it. I, I, I like my mysteries to be resolved. Um, and I kind of thought I grasped what this mystery was that Paul was going on about. I I kind of thought he was saying the mystery that he's finally revealing um, is that the Gentiles will be accepted within this grand vision of the kingdom of God. Um, and then I kind of found myself thinking, is it really such a mystery given that we've just read Isaiah chapter 60, which is saying pretty much exactly that? Or maybe he's repackaged the mystery in more uh, believable or understandable terms, or maybe he's preaching it to the Gentiles, because I don't suppose Isaiah was really preached to the Gentiles uh, in the same way, was it, or in the same force? Um, yeah, Rachel. I was just thinking that if, you, if we wanted to kind of bring it back to the baby Jesus, um, we could talk about the mystery of um, God becoming a baby and, you know, not turning up in Herod's palace, but uh, turning up in Bethlehem. Um, so we could maybe, yeah, we could maybe draw on that mystery. Yeah, I saw a, I saw a, a headline for a, an article in Christianity Today or something, which I don't subscribe to, so I couldn't read the article. Um, but the headline for the article said, um, Jesus turns up in all the wrong places. <laughs> uh, and there was a, and the picture was a, was a crib just 
out in the street or something, um, which I kind of thought, that's, that's really, a, that's a fascinating image, isn't it? Jesus mm. turns up in all the wrong places. <laughs> yeah, Ruth. Well, I was just thinking as well about the mystery of every baby. You know, every oh, baby. God. <laughs> because, you know, you look at this little blob and that's usually crying. Um, and, and, you know, what, what, what is this baby going to become? Um, so maybe, Phil, you know, the problem is that you won't get every mystery resolved because is the mystery of a baby ever resolved? Do we know who that baby is going to become until finally death helps them to become who they truly are? Um, so I wonder whether, I don't know whether Paul's doing it deliberately. I'm going to have to go and read Ephesians far more carefully. Um, but whether some of it is he doesn't want us to get away from the mystery of God and that there are, it is revealed, but it's never totally explained or unpacked. So that there's a mystery at the heart of Jesus. There's a mystery at the heart of all of us that's all wrapped up in the, in the mystery of God. Um, so Epiphany gives you glimpses of it, but you never quite get the whole thing, which is why we have to come around and look at it every single year. I, I do need more mystery in my life. That is, that is in fact true. And I've often described my uh, journey of Christian discipleship as um, using that kind of language and people ask me about it, um, that God has given me glimpses of God's self that is just enough to keep me looking. Um, I'm never overwhelmed with everything I need to know about God. I'm just given just like a little glimpse that keeps me searching and it's enough to keep me looking. Um, so maybe I accept more mystery than I, than I say I do uh, because um, my life of discipleship is one of trying to follow mystery, I suppose. Yeah, Lytham. Um, to quote Alan Partridge. Um, <laughs> Of course. Well, uh, whenever what I usually do for, to describe the season of Epiphany is to say it's all about the aha moments and that that's what we need to look for, you know. So each week we'll go to the next reading and say, So where's the aha in this one? But actually, it, that is quite a good thing to try and look for in life as well. And they're not, they don't necessarily have to be quite as big and dramatic as. Um, some of the ones that we'll have over the next few weeks, but there can be quite often quite simple little moments that are still epiphanies, and there's still those. Uh, I'm going back to Ruth's image because I do like that the the can with the holes in that shine the light out. That we both get, we both are sometimes those little glimpses, or we need to be aware of and look out for those little ahas in our life that will help us in our Christian journey. But we won't see the whole thing until the life to come you know we will only get this small glimpse at the moment but hopefully it's enough imagine imagine if all of those little things those pinprick moments that have really helped us feel close to god imagine if the the kind of the lid came off we probably couldn't cope with it we've, we've just been re-watching some doctor who some of us in our family where donna gets filled with the doctor who-ness and it's too much for a human to bear. And I kind of think that's, you know, God's love. If we could, if the whole thing was revealed at once, it would be unbearable in its wonder and awe. And actually that's why we just have the little glimpses and sort of it's a mystery because we just can't comprehend the rest. Yeah, Robert, I think you were gonna say something. 
Uh, I was thinking of the your image of getting a a hint, uh, and I, I've often thought of it like um, a, um, a kite, the tail of which is just out of reach. And sometimes I just manage to catch the tail and get a, a look at what's there, and then it gets away from me again. Um, and I was thinking about what Lytham was saying about it being too much and how um, this lockdown for a lot of people, it's as though our culture is, is giving us um, imagery and stimulation all the time, so we want more, that lockdown stops all that. And for a lot of us, the, the just going out this limited life meant that you could focus on the smaller things and find a lot of beauty where the rest of the time you're too busy brushing past. There's, there's beauty in the smallness, in the sense, in the touch. And in some, some way, it seems to me um, to, um, that that's, that's the godness of it somehow, in that the world is more, more, you know, fast food, more, more. And then you go for a walk up the lane and you see a, tiny tiny little flower and in that tiny little flower there's a sort of there's there's a godness about that because it's perfect but it's tiny tiny it's insignificant yeah Ruth thank you yeah Robert's just reminded me of um struggling to have a book and I was just struggling to remember the surname of the author but one of you might know it rewilding yourself and it's Simon yeah um, but it's it's a beautiful little book, and and he talks about slowing down, and it, it, each chapter he does different things to kind of connect with the wild world. And it's things like buy a pair of um, uh, waterproof trousers so you can go and sit, um, and and just sit for a bit in a bit of woodland or a bit of grassland or a wherever. And he said it doesn't need to be big stuff. It's not you know the Grand Canyon. It's you just go and sit somewhere and just just wait and sit sit quietly and and see what happens, uh, and be attuned. And the, the, the chapter um, I was just reading this morning talks about getting a, a a little canoe so you can be on the water but just going really slowly, so that you can like a swan. So, so you're just poodling along so that you can see, you know, and you're at the right le the level of the water so you can see the, the clouds of gnats or the fish just under the surface. Or, and it's, it's not about seeing the great big thing that you would write about, um, but it's about just tuning into all those little things. And, and as I'm reading it, I'm, I'm thinking that um, there's, there's something about, uh, he. I don't think he would use the word, glory although he does quote um uh the wind hover the poet but anyway it'll come to me in a minute um but i caught this morning morning's minion dapple dawn drawn falcon right on the no it's not not doing anything to anybody uh gerard manley hopkins around it you get there so he quotes gerard manley hopkins and i think gerard manley hopkins would certainly say that that in tuning into the wild world we see the glory of god and I love, again, I think it's Gerard Manley Hopkins about shook foil, um, that idea of you know the little bits of light that are flying all over the place that we kind of tune into. 
Um, so I think there is there is something I hope to take to our congregations about spotting not only the beauty of the world but the the glory of God in the beauty of the world. Uh, I just thought spotting the Bethlehem, not the Jerusalem. Mm. So yeah, re rewilding yourself, sitting on canoes. I, I'm um, kind of nervous that somebody's going to suggest sitting down in a corner with a with a hazelnut, um, uh, <laughs> contemplating it <laughs> for several weeks. Um, so before anyone does that, um, I, I wonder if it's maybe time to think about some of the other elements of worship, of how we might uh, take this epiphany. I'm, I'm, it's one of those things that's not 100% easy to pin down exactly what it is and what we mean by it. Um, there is a popular use of the word epiphany and someone has an epiphany. That's the aha moment that ah, now it all falls into place. Um, I, from what I read, there seems to be a slight disagreement between the Western and Eastern wings of the church about where we focus epiphany. Um, some saying, I think it is about the uh, glory of God being finally revealed to the whole world, you know, the Gentiles, which is why we talk about the kings being representative of the Gentiles. And then I think in the Eastern Church, they focus a lot more on the baptism of Jesus as their key epiphany story, where um, Jesus is revealed for who he is at yeah. this baptism moment and the dove coming down from heaven. Essentially, I guess the same thing. Um, the, the revelation to the world of who this baby actually is, um, although still room for some mystery, obviously. Um, so um, if we're doing Epiphany and we've done the preaching and we've got lots to uh, be thinking about there, um, where are we going with uh, ideas for the rest of worship? Lithan, what have you what have you come up with? Um, I've got some um, paintings, Bill, that I can share a screen. Right, so these are all from this one place, which is all from art from the Christian tradition. Um, and so if you want to look up the copyright, that's where you need to go um, for that. So my, the first one is um, Hei Kui. And I tend to, if I'm looking for paintings for worship, and um, I use them quite a lot, um, both for prayer and for when I'm talking, so that there's something else for people's eyes to rest on, and they're not just looking around or doodling, which is what I tend to do. And I love all the ones that are not Western, because yeah. I think it's so easy for us to get caught up in, they look like us. <laughs> and seeing something from a different tradition just helps. So I love these um, Heiki's ones there, and then Tissot is, I think, an American, um, an African-American. And I love this one because uh, both of the ethnicity of the kings and also their entourage is quite substantial. And you get that idea of the journey they've gone on. And this one doesn't feature kings at all, but I love it. It's, as I say, it's called Awake My Soul. And um, just gorgeous, just about epiphany and glory and light and I could look at that for hours and um, I think the prints are quite expensive but if anyone's looking for something to buy me for Christmas one of those would be quite good 
And finally, my favourite Jesus Maffa, I might have said on here before, that in the, from the Cameroon where um, a priest and some artists went to share the gospel with the people who lived there and then got them to recreate the scenes. And then the sketches were taken from that to create the, um, the scenes from the life of Jesus. And so there's always something to look at in the background. And just again, just another cultural interpretation that helps remind us that it's that, especially I guess for, for this story, that Jesus has come to be the light for all nations and not just the people that look like us. Cool, cool. There's some fabulous images there. And presumably most, most of those places are where people can go and look for images uh, on all sorts of things. And they're, they're just good resources to keep bookmarked for um, whatever you're looking for. Rachel, what have, what have you dug out of your closet? Um, I was trying to think of some kind of um, light activity. So I think if we were in a building, um, it would be kind of nice to have people, everyone have a candle that they come and light from a central candle. Um, but then maybe give them that light in a in a little holder, you know, votive holder, and ask them to take their light out and not, you know, stick it on their dining table or whatever, but give it to somebody else um, and sort of explain why they've given it as a means of blessing or, you know, prayer for them or whatever, but um, to get people to take the light and to share it. But thinking about um, what Ruth was saying, I love the lantern idea. So I think if if it was a kind of um, maybe Zoom service, then I'd encourage people to have some resources in front of them so that they could make their own things to, to stick on the outside of a glass candle holder. So you could, I don't know, with black paper or any kind of paper, you could make some patterns, cut out some holes, um, stick some tissue paper. I don't know, you could do all sorts of things, but uh, something something along those lines I think I would do. There is, uh, there, is, there is a tradition um, around the world of the end of Epiphany, 12th 12, 12 night Epiphany liturgies, um, yeah. where I think part of the tradition is a lit walkway with candles in jars or lanterns and people walk up a pathway of light in order to get to the 12th night um, liturgical festival because in, in, in many countries epiphany is is like as big as easter and christmas it's mm. it's whereas in the uk it's just passes by pretty much unrecognized <laughs> but it's massive in 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 many countries around the world yes Lytton. um november the 11th is saint martin's day and the school i'm governor of is saint martin's and light is an important part of that and so we normally have a lantern parade. So this year we're going to be putting lanterns, encouraging people to put the lanterns outside their house. And then some, some of the staff will walk around and spot the lanterns. And I guess that's something that churches could do. And, and we could leave a head, head teacher gift, which is what's going to happen. Um, they're going to have a little gift put on the doorstep for them if they've done that. I get, actually, that's, that's also something that, St Martin's Day is important in Europe rather than the UK. Um, but I think, yeah, that idea of how we share the light around 
and I wonder why we make light so important in all of so all these different festivals that are light festivals and we're just again those are just the European ones I think if we looked further afield um, and to different religions there are so many different light festivals aren't there and, and maybe think about why that's so important. I thought St Martin's was about making cakes out of donkey poo or something. That's one of the stories Bill. Um. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> if well, we wanted traditions and, um, yeah, no, it's, and making, it's making cakes that look like donkey poo, not out of donkey poo. Okay, um, Robert, where were you? Where, where, where were you? What have you dug up? Any ideas for the um, rest of worship? Well, I was thinking that lights um, probably so important because. Before there was electric light, there wasn't much of it about after darkness, was there? Um, so that that awareness of the difference was much clearer to people. Um, well, people have said a lot of what I was going to say. I, I love the um, the art, the the first painting that uh, Lithan showed, uh, and I think it's really good to use non-European art. Uh, and modern art because I think it might it helps people to see things from a different point of view if, if you just show them um, a classic painting they sort of think they know what they're looking at and, and some of those images are say hang on what's this about um, I do think January the 6th uh, around then people might be thinking about Christmas is over, it's time to take things down. And I wondered about asking people, you could do this if you're on Zoom, perhaps better, to um, show us the star that they had on the top of their tree, perhaps, because people often have stories about those, don't they? That it was, you know, uh, oh, our, my little child made this when and we've kept it ever since. I, I thought that might be good. I saw some uh, a guy suggest that you um, give everybody one of those, you know, when we're at school, we get a star when we've done well, and suggest, <laughs> suggest you giving everybody one. Um, I thought that was quite nice, because you know, we're all stars, uh, and we take our stars out with us into the community. So I sort of wondered about giving people stars and saying, you know, put it in your purse or your wallet. And just as a reminder um, of what this is about, that, that's the sort of thing. But I, I did like the imagery and I like the craft stuff Rachel was talking about. Cool. Um, we're all stars. Ruth, what, what, what have you uh, imagined <coughs> for this series? Yeah. Well, following on from the star thing, um, I, I went to um, Rejoice and Sing. Um, and number 182 is how brightly beams the morning star. So it's in it's in the epiphany section. Uh, but I just I mean I love the music, uh, which is um, Philip Nicolai. And when people say oh oh that you pick that new hymn, I have to point out that his dates are 1556 to 1608. <laughs> Not new to you, I always say. Try to say it graciously. Um, but but I thought I would love to use this. Um, a sort of reflection between hearing the word and any kind of sermon or reflection on it. Um, and it's nice 
to give people something to think about. And this one, I mean, it, it, how brightly beams the morning star and it's referring to Jesus. So there's stuff there about, you know, the light is coming from God through Jesus and not from us. Uh, but then the, the words towards the end of the first verse are, your word, Jesus, inly feeds us, rightly leads us, life bestowing. Praise, oh praise, such love all flowing. They're fabulous words. Um, and the idea that we break open the word in, in worship and that when we do that, the light of God and the love of God kind of pours out of it. And I'd, I'd love people to be reading the Bible and thinking that. And I think those thoughts would mean whatever I say in the sermon, they won't be listening because they'll still be thinking about this. But I have got just uh, in case people don't know it and to save you hearing me sing it again. Um, I've, got a, I've got a share so you can, you can hear a little bit of this. So bear with me. I'll make sure I've got the sound on. And we'll go to the right bit. I won't play all of it, but I will play some. How brightly shines the morning star With grace and truth from heaven afar Our Jesse tree now say something <clears throat> there is the three kings from persian lands afar that you can sing over the top of that mm. sometimes you miss then what the choir is singing in the background while the while phil sings his three kings bit and actually you could do it twice so you could have the chorale and then do the version with the three kings overlaid over the top because they're both beautiful in their own right and i i just think why I love music, so just being able to hear those things together and, and reflect can often, yeah, as we say, can often say more than, well, my witterings. I don't know about our witterings. Nobody wants to hear Phil singing over the top of uh, any choir. So um, I am fascinated by how big Epiphany is around the world and how utterly sidelined and ignored it is in the UK. Um, and I've often been interested and in, focused in worship on some of the traditions around the world. And I, I've looked up three that I think are possible with varying degrees of likelihood um, in our local churches. Certainly two of them are possible in houses um, in the UK for introduction. If we're fed up with Chris Dingles, um, it's maybe time to introduce something new. Um, we've got this opportunity. So I'm gonna share my screen. Um, 
Um, is the first one is uh, the, the less the less likely to take off, but there's certainly one person in this room who I'm sure will grab this with both hands. Um, um, and that is that there is a tradition around the world of leaping into very cold water. Um, in some places, um, the I think it's an orthodox tradition, uh, the priest gets on a boat with a load of young men, um, usually men, um, and throws a cross into the sea. <laughs> they all leap in. And, the, and one of them, the first person to find it um, gets a special blessing for the year. Um, so here's a news report. Um, I think, yeah. Thousands of Orthodox Christian worshippers plunged into the icy waters, blah, 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 to retrieve the crucifixes. Uh, Nicolas Solis uh, retrieved the cross the fourth time he's done this. He's obviously the expert cross <laughs> uh, retriever. Another Greek man lost consciousness and had to be pulled out <laughs> of the frigid water, <laughs> taken away in ambulance. So um, I think this is a picture of the uh, victorious Nicolas Solis there, <laughs> emerging <laughs> with his prize and his special blessing. Um, so yeah, uh, use with caution if urging your entire congregation to leap into the sea, but it does seem to be a tradition. Um, the whole cold water thing, which used to be a tradition over here when our uh, patron saints all used to like standing in cold water from what I can gather. Certainly St. David and St. Patrick used to spend many nights just standing in cold water. Um, and uh, that one from my owner as well, St. Cuthbert used to stand in cold water as well for hours on end. Um, if you haven't got a priest to throw a cross, um, there are some traditions where they just go in the cold water for the sake of it. Um, <coughs> And they dig out from the ice a shape of a big Orthodox cross and you go in there at Epiphany. Um, I don't think that's that deep, but I think you just, <laughs> I wouldn't be going in there. Um, but I'm, yeah, you could try that. An icy cross bath for your more adventurous members. Perhaps more likely <laughs> around the world is a tradition of um, King's Cake um, as a a particular version in America that comes at Mardi Gras at the end of Epiphany. And there's a version in Spain, which is a little bit more strained. This is the American version of a king's cake. And the idea is that you have this sort of round um, uh, cake and in it is hidden a baby. There's the baby there smothered in cake. <laughs> uh, the person who finds the baby, um, again, gets special blessings for the year to come but it's a bit like hunt the sixpence in a Christmas pudding. It's hunt the baby in a cake. Um, the Spanish version is slightly more restrained and I think that's possible. You could get people to make these, couldn't you? That, that'd be quite an interesting, there's tons of recipes. In Spanish, it's called the, the, the Rosca de Reyes. Rosca, if you look at Rosca de Reyes, there's tons of recipes for making one of these round cakes. Uh, and that, there's little Jesus there. He's been hidden in that little hole in the cake. Somebody's found him. <laughs> and you're all supposed to sit around as a family. You sit around the table with this cake and you eat it there and then, like the Christmas pudding, the ceremony, and you all have a slice. And, the, and one slice has got Jesus in it. <laughs> so there you go. Um, there are some places where they put lots of Jesuses in so nobody feels left out. But um, <laughs> pick, pick which version you want. Um, 
So there, that's the uh, Rosca de Reyes. Uh, the other thing is, and I've actually done this. I did this in Newton Abbott um, with the URC Methodist Church there. And that's chalking oh, yeah, the door. Um, and in lots of countries, they do this chalking the door. And so the, the 20 at the beginning and the 04 at the end, that's the year. That one was done in 2004. And in the middle, there are three crosses, uh, which are supposed to represent crosses. Um, and then there is CMB, which are the uh, traditional names of the three wise men, Caspar, Melchior, and Abednego or something. But <laughs> Balthazar. <laughs> uh, Balthazar. Um, and you chalk it over your door. So this year it would be 20 plus C plus or cross C cross M cross B cross 21 um, over your door uh, or you could put it down the lintel like that and so that is say four crosses though Phil oh there's four, four I missed crosses. one sorry four crosses you can you can decide what four means but there's four crosses and the CMB also stands for Christus Mansionem Benedicat Christ may Christ bless this house Christus Mansionum Benedicat and some people have little prayers to go with it that you can put through people's door with a piece of chalk on um it's a little you know bless our home make it a haven of rest which I think is quite that's quite an easy thing to do to chalk your door or chalk your lintel or put a little prayer with a piece of chalk in through uh, some people's houses around around your church with some instructions or something um which I thought was eminently doable as a epiphany thing i think that's all i've got on there yeah so um yeah uh, icy waters um eating uh, king's cake and um and chalking your door uh, are all um well-established worldwide epiphany traditions that um we don't do um very excellent what, what are the, the you do the doors in Exmouth? Yeah. <laughs> do you go around people's houses and do that then? No, I just go around Glenorchy, that's all. Or used to. What? Secretly? No! <laughs> <laughs> and you go back a year later and they say, it's still there on the door. Cool. cool. I, we did one secretly in, in, at night time. Uh, or I think it was very, very early in the morning down the road on which my King Stainton church is. We, um, on Easter day, I say we, I did, um, stuck um, post-it note love hearts um, um, on everybody's door. <laughs> it's a kind of a, uh, our version of fly posting that wouldn't be too offensive because um, you could peel it off quite easily. Um, and everybody woke up to find a, a sort of, I think it might, they might have all said he has risen as well on it or something. And they all found one stuck on their door the next morning. Um, so no secret chalking of people's doors, um, but it's, it's certainly, you can do your own door or um, you could get the vicar to come around and do your door. There are liturgies, if you look online, there are particular liturgies for the chalking of doors, but it's not rocket science. You could write it yourself. Um, the, the thing is, is that mostly in the chalking rather than adding tons of prayers around it, but it's possible. So any final thoughts about um, epiphany and preaching and worship and stuff? No, in which case we have been talking absolute worship 
and Litham is going to lead us in prayer as we close. So let's pray together. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Loving God, we thank you that your light has indeed come into the world. Help us to reflect that light and help all of us who are preparing worship find the right words and actions and pictures and thoughts to help all of us to be prepared to shine, to show the revelation of your light to the whole of the world that we may all know your wonder and sing your praise. Amen. Amen.